You're listening to 95.9 Radio Free Fargo. Hey, this is Kate, and you're tuned in to The Wow Factor, where we have conversations to help you discover your wealth of wellness. Each week, we talk with passionate guests who are thriving in one of our five pillars. Live well, be well, move well, eat well, and dress well. Listen in as we dive into The Wow Factor. This week, back with us, we have our dynamic duo of People's Rising Academy, Dr. Miles and Jody Plessity. And we are back with Talk with the Doc. And tonight we're covering that taboo subject of sugar. You guys got it right. We're going to learn all about it. We're going to learn how much is enough, how much is too much. And we're going to be answering the questions that you sent to us. You've got questions and we've got answers. Welcome to the show, Jody and Dr. Miles. How's it going? Going pretty well, Kayla. Hey, Kayla. How's it going? Good, good. It's so good to hear from you guys. I absolutely love when we get to chat and I love having you on the show. And this is a, this is a big topic that we're going to cover tonight. You know, sugar. Do we dread it? Do we love it? We're all addicted. <laughs> Let's talk yeah. about it. All right. So, you know, I just throwing it out there is Americans eat too much sugar per day. Plain, plain and simple, we add, there's too much added sugar in our diets, and it's leading us to actually kind of realize how bad some of our diseases really are. And I think, you know, without diving too into the, uh, the polarized political arena of COVID, we can just see what the un- some of the underlying issues are, and we can make a pretty um, direct comparison to sugar consumption and various high fructose corn syrup consumption in the United States on what this actually does and how it sets up our body to be uh, a little weaker and a little uh, less, um, puts up less of a fight when we get into certain situations. And I, and I think we're seeing that now. And, you know, we've, we've seen it for years, and this is just another example of um, just how bad things like hypertension, diabetes, cardiovascular disease can be and when something that nature brings along um, can add a big monkey wrench into how everything is functioning. You know, that's, that's really true. And you kind of like, you're touching on a lot of things and it's, you know, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of pain points for a lot of people. And, you know, a lot of times we don't, we don't really want to look at that. We don't really want sugar to be the culprit because we like it. It's all over. It tastes good. It's in, you know, all sorts of foods. I, I love chocolate. You know, it's, it's something that we're kind of emotionally connected to as well. Um, so let's dive in and like kind of talk about some of the, let's get the facts straight with sugar and, you know, talk about what's the realities that we're facing. How much is too much? Can we enjoy a bite here and there? What's the safe zone? I think that's the biggest question for people is they just don't know kind of where to start when it comes to sugar, reading labels, things like that. So yeah, let's kind of dive in with um, what are some of the questions that we've got on the docket tonight? Yeah, so I would just start off by the American Heart Association recommends men having nine teaspoons of sugar a day or less, women six teaspoons a day or less, and as well as children six teaspoons a day or less. Now, that's really easy to uh, get when you think about um, a energy drink or a can of soda, there's eight teaspoons in a 12 ounce can of pop. 
130 calories and zero nutrition that quick. Wow. You know, wow. you're already, you're already at your limit. One can of soda and you know, pop isn't killing people and sugar isn't killing people or making people uh, more prone to certain things. It's the overconsumption and it's on a consistent basis. And I'm going to touch on it here into how it actually changes our brain later on. Cause it's not just one instance. It's, it's not much like a drug, but we find in research shows um, it's much more addicting. It's just how, what does it take to become, you know, wanting or needing or addicted to sugar? It takes a long process of being exposed to high amounts over and over and over. So to, to break down sugar, we, we do need to understand the basics because there is a lot of stigma with sugar. There is a lot of myths out there with sugar and sugar, you know, kind of gets abused. And I think the, the biggest reason why sugar gets abused is because sugar often gets thrown into the category of added sugar. And that's what people think about is sugar means added sugar. And it doesn't, it's not even close. There is sugar in sweet potatoes, there's sugar in fruit, and it's all different types of sugar. And the added sugar is what's really getting us. And it's really clever. Uh, added sugar, there's a lot of science behind food. There's a, for instance, a Cheeto. A Cheeto has so much science in it, you guys, you wouldn't even understand. You know, but basically, oh, wow. yeah, basically the combination of fat and sugar combined into something that can disintegrate on your tongue without chewing equals for a very, very rewarding thing in your brain. Lots of dopamine, potentially a little serotonin. And man, you went from rock bottom to living on cloud nine just from Cheetos. Is this why I'm so addicted? I go to my mom's house. She's got the bag of Cheetos and we put it away. Like yeah. I don't, I'm like, oh, I'll have a handful. I'll have a serving. And then we look, we're laughing. We're having a glass of wine and the bag of Cheetos is gone. So yep. that's why that happened. Okay. Yep. And it, you know, the icing on the cake, whether it's the Cheetos puffs or the, the crunchier Cheetos is both are, they hit different areas of your brain. The, the puffs are the, the disintegratable that break down without even trying. And the crunch is another factor that goes into that highly rewarding area of the brain that just loves the crunch. It's just, it's a weird phenomenon, but it, it's so true. So before we get into that, let's break down sugar. Um, there is all, types, all kinds of different types of sugar. The basic ones that we all need to know is there's monosaccharides, which are fructose, glucose, and galactose. Those are our simple sugars. And then there's disaccharides, which are lactose, sucrose, and maltose. And I think disaccharides, but so we don't get too far into the weeds, disaccharides are what you're going to find in beer. So maltose is in beer, and your lactose is in your dairy products. Those are the most common disaccharides, and they get broken down into monosaccharides. And then last but not least is high fructose corn syrup, which is depending on who makes it and depending on what you read, 42 to 55% fructose and the rest is glucose. So half, let's just go with half of the weight of one high fructose corn syrup molecule is fructose and the other, a little bit less than half is glucose. Just so we have an understanding on why, what high fructose corn syrup is. Glucose is absorbed in the GI tract, um, whereas fructose is rerouted to the liver. And that's where all the damage really happens is that fructose, 
you know, has to go through a different process in the liver and it's turned into glucose eventually, well, it releases it as a glucose, a fat, a fatty acid and lactate particles, which are the later used for energy. But that extra conversion um, really screws with people. And that's why we have that underlying problem in this country of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, because we associate fatty liver with alcoholics, but non-alcoholic fatty liver is pretty well correlated to fructose consumption, especially when you get near high fructose corn syrup consumption. Mm -hmm. um, sugar is in fruit. And we have to realize that, that 30% of sugar won't be absorbed. I mean, the research, it's all over, but I averaged it out. I, I took the best studies I could. And 30% of sugar, you know, won't be absorbed in your GI tract, let alone fiber slows the absorption of sugar. So by the time sugar actually gets absorbed, it's so far down the GI tract and in your large intestine that actually the bugs in your gut start using the sugar and you don't even absorb it. That's why sugar from um, fruit can be, just be a little bit better. Um, you can get carried away. Watermelon is one of those uh, fruits that a lot of patients talk about getting carried away with. They just keep eating it. And again, it has that uh, Cheeto-like um, consistency, right? Where you can just put watermelon on, the t on your tongue and you can press it to nothing. That is very uh, rewarding for the body. So that's just kind of the beginning part of it. And uh, yeah, just excess fructose in the uh, intestine leads to a lot of things, neurodegenerative disease, chronic inflammatory conditions like asthma, diabetes, and cognitive decline. I think we forget about dementia and Alzheimer's as being just all of a sudden you have it. Well, that, that's not true. You've had it for years and somewhere along the line, some fail safe fails and then you start getting symptoms. So we, we, we see things like fructose really uh, build up and uh, cause issues later on in life. They're not so quick. And, and that makes it tough because we like quick things, whether it's good or bad, because we can make a change based on quick. It's hard to make a change based on 50 years of doing something and then hoping to get better in one day. So why don't, uh, what do you guys think? What, what have your interactions been with fructose or high fructose corn syrup? What didn't you know about it? Um, your, I don't know, how have you guys interacted with things like that? Well, Dr. Miles, that is, um, I have so many thoughts rolling around this topic and just my, just the two items you mentioned and specifically Cheetos and like I talked about with my mom, like that's a real story. And then like watermelon, Pete brought home a, you know, watermelon. I love watermelon. I think it's, you know, you can do a lot of good things with it, but it is easy to keep going with it. I, I, it's one of those fruits that I, I do, you know, you like it. It's, it's, it's full of like, it's fresh, it's delicious. And, you know, I have to be really intentional cognitively when I make decisions regarding sugar because I do have a tendency to start eating, eating it kind of like mindlessly. I can grab something if it's around or, you know, I can, I start to get on kicks, you know, if I'm busy or if I'm stressed and I gravitate towards that rather than eating something like maybe something more co complex, like a sweet potato or something that at least you're getting something like a fiber or substantial 
nutrients to fill the gaps that are act- aren't being fulfilled by the sugar, but we grab it and we just keep eating it, expecting it to kind of fill, but it never fills and we just keep eating it and eating it. And the cycle, I feel for me personally, it's been a battle. It's been a back and forth battle. I don't know about you, Jody. Yeah. Before uh, Jody goes here, I just wanted to mention to the listeners uh, what Kayla is talking about is fructose. Again, remember it, it goes, has to go through the liver. It's not absorbed right away. And that's an empty calorie. That's an empty reward. So you're, you're getting the taste, but you're not getting the nutrition side in your brain. So the brain is assuming more calories, more caloric intake, and it's, that's not being suppressed like it should. And that's why fructose over and over and over again, that's why you eat a whole watermelon. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I ate a whole watermelon. So that's what, that's what Kayla's talking about is fructose is so slow in getting into the body that it, it doesn't tell your brain that you're full. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I've had that, the same type of effect. You know, I, I find when I eat sweet things, whether it's, I actually stay away from high fructose corn syrup now. I used to be a Mountain Dew drinker, Mountain Dew cold can. There was nothing better than that. That was a mm. long time ago. I don't, honestly, if I drank one of those right now, I would probably <laughs> run around like crazy. <laughs> I would get sick. I, I, I don't think sick. my body would reject it, you know? Well, and I find when I do eat something sweet, now when I say sweet, to me, fruit is sweet. And that's just because I have really tried to discipline myself on what I eat compared to what I used to eat back in my unhealthy days, you could say. And I'm very mindful of that. Even when I give in to like some dark chocolate or this and that, I find that it just makes me want more because like you said, you get that quick little fix, like it's a little drug fix Mm -hmm. and then you're running around and then all of a sudden you want another handful of chocolate and another handful. And so you kind of go on this roller coaster that I have found for me and uh, it really affects my, my clarity my ability mm-hmm. to think and concentrate and focus, um, like even to sit down and just do some work. If I've had some sweetener or sugar um, or too much fruit, even I can I can really tell. So I really have to be mindful of what I eat. And honestly, I only eat about one fruit a day. Just to let you guys know, I don't eat fruit all day long. I have like an apple or something in my shake with a bunch of greens, but I usually do a one to three ratio of, you know, three veggies, one fruit type thing is what I do. So Mm -hmm. that's interesting that you say that too, because I've noticed um, I get my anxiety levels are higher when I'm eating more sugar. And I'm, I'm very, I inflame a lot, like I get inflammatory response to sugar and digestive issues when I'm eating higher levels of sugar. So those are three things that I've noticed just by eliminating sugar since our last conversation. I've um, really did a 180 on my diet just to just experiment. And I feel like I feel a lot better. I'm much less anxious and I'm much more clear cognitively as well. So, and confident, like it's like, a, it's not just a body thing. It's like your whole holistically you, when that is monitored into that healthy range, I feel much more productive as a human being. Right. And yeah, like, like you said, when you eliminate sugar, um, you know, you're not eliminating all the, all your sugar, you're just eliminating excessive sugar, which 
really what you know Kayla's getting at is her blood sugar stays stable. Then cortisol and then epinephrine don't get dysregulated, which leads to dopamine and serotonin getting dysregulated, which leads to depression. And that's what and that's what Kayla's saying is when you get your underlying foundation stable, all these other systems that are meant to meant to be in place in case you're in danger don't get activated and you feel more stable. You're less anxious. Things as simple as, you know, an empty tank of gas or you forgot to get a grocery at the grocery store don't give you anxiety. Don't give you frustration. It's it's simple stuff. It sounds silly, but it's real. It's it's amazing how we respond based on our hunger levels, our satisfaction levels. It, it's pretty wild on how we actually respond. And what we're all getting at, you know, that we're what we're saying right now is we're talking about the brain. We're talking about the metabolism of the brain, and the brain loves glucose. The brain needs it. The brain absolutely needs it. And you know, clinically, we're we like to get a little bit. Uh, this is more of an opinion. This is more um, anecdotal evidence. But glucose transporters get injured during traumatic brain injury. And what that means is we can't bring glucose like we need it into the brain. And that's why we use things like a ketogenic diet. That's why we use things like intermittent fasting. So there's a little plug there for maybe future talks on, you know, when glucose metabolism becomes impaired, then it's, then it might be time to try some of these fad things like the ketogenic diet or intermittent fasting. They work pretty well in concussion patients or traumatic brain injury patients. And yeah, we see pretty good success with those. But back to sugar in the brain, um, just some nerdy stuff that people should know and forget tomorrow is the hypothalamus regulates food and it, of intake and energy needs in the body. And that comes down and it responds to your dopamine and serotonin system, which rewards you for healthy eating behaviors and unhealthy be- eating behaviors. Like you see your bulimia nervosa, you see your anorexia, your body will reward you for those. It's just the wrong, it's the wrong thing going on. So again, eating palatable food, which means tasteful food like the Cheeto, releases dopamine. So you gain pleasure by eating these highly palatable foods. So your foods that are heavy in fat and sugar that usually have a crunch, so an auditory component, or they have some type of suppressed suppressatory opponent like squishing in your mouth or being able to break it down without chewing those just really get the brain going so those all release dopamine now you have two areas in your brain um, in your basal ganglia that get activated it's called your dorsal striatum and your ventral striatum and to understand the simplest form of eating there's two things the body needs nutrition and taste both of those will give you dopamine so glucose activates the dorsal striatum. This is the nutritional component of the brain that tells you, hey, I'm hungry, I need nutrition, I'm needing something. These are, this area lights up in um, pregnant individuals that are needing iron, that are needing certain antioxidants. This is that area that lights up in some of those individuals, while the ventral striatum is more associated with taste. So tasty treats light up the uh, ventral striatum with dopamine. So there's the two areas. And the neat thing about it is glucose activates the dorsal striatum. So again, remember the dorsal striatum is nutrition, meaning your, your 
meeting the demands of that area of your brain. So what what are you going to do? You're going to shut off your hunger once the demands have been met. Fructose does not stimulate the dorsal striatum. So you never reduce your hunger urge. So what fructose does is it actually stimulates the visual cortex and the ventral striatum, which is more associated with taste. And then you see food and you feel food and you're not fulfilling that hunger part. You're only fulfilling that taste part. That's why we can get caught in these cycles. That's why high fructose corn syrup foods, we just eat the living daylights out of them. That's why fruit we can eat the living daylights out of is because that, that hunger is not being suppressed. So it's kind of a, a neat little thing and, and that just rolls us right into addiction. Can you get addicted to sugar? Well, it, it's tough. The research I can tell you, I, I looked at it today, I looked at it yesterday. It's hard because once you start addiction, what do people get addicted to? People get addicted to drugs. People get addicted to certain acts. And uh, the big question is, or the big um, thing that researchers have a tough time doing is who's going to be the one to say that sugar is addicting and, and might label it as a class of a drug? right? Who's going to be the one who says that? And that's what I found in the research is there's a lot of hesitancy to label because of law and implications. But what we do have is we have a lot of research on mice and we have a lot of research on obese individuals. So I'm going to dive into that quick, make it simple and easy. Um, Basically with humans, your alcohol and drug users tend to preference sweet foods. And why that is, it's two things. It's environmental and it's genetic. Meaning an addictive behavior is, um, I would say, uh, how to say it, is genetic because you have certain receptors in your brain based on what your parents gave you. So you're more prone to become addicted versus somebody else. So there, there's some neat little areas in the brain that that's the genetic part. And then the environmental part is who you're around. What are you eating? Were you exposed to something during a stressful part of your life? That's the environmental part. So with mice, you know, there's some uh, pretty wild studies with mice. And I think the most interesting one is that cocaine dependent mice would actually prefer saccharin over cocaine when they have a choice. So, right. So that, that's a pretty, that's a pretty wild one. And they find saccharin more rewarding than cocaine. And these are already cocaine-dependent rats. Wow. You know, b- bless the rats and <laughs> what's done to them. My gosh, that, that'd be a rough life. <laughs> but nonetheless, this is, a, this is a pretty breakthrough study. It's, it's all over in psychology. It's, it's all about the dopamine system and what drives, what really drives us. And you get into that basal ganglia and you get into anything with sugar, you're going to find that sugar will reward you a lot more than you think. Now in human trials, you know, there's not a lot of human trials again on addiction because of implications, but there is trials on obese individuals and, you know, individuals with certain metabolic disease. And what we see is, you know, glucose containing drinks reduce dopamine to the D2 receptor. Now, if you know anything about, there's D1 and there's D2 receptors. D2 receptors are your inhibition receptors. So if you give more dopamine to your D1 receptor, 
you have more, you're more prone to get compulsive and make bad choices about eating because your D2 receptor is your inhib inhibition receptor. So that's where the genetic component comes in is what were you born with? How many D2 receptors do you have and how many D1 receptors do you have? And then when you say, you know, for instance, Kayla or Jody, if you guys go to grab a cookie, what are the chances that you pull away from that cookie and say, no, I'm not going to have it. I'm going to throw it away. That has a lot to do with genetics and you don't even know it. And then all, all it takes is one time grabbing the cookie and you rewarded a behavior. The next time to go to take it away is going to be a little bit harder because you're feeding the D1 system and you're not feeding that D2 system. And eventually your cells start making a bunch of D1 receptors and you don't have a lot of D2 receptors. So again, the moral of all the human trials that I've looked at is repeated exposure changes the dopamine receptor on the cell and we lose inhibition and we become more excited, excited, aversive, compulsive. And this is where you see your eating disorders right there. That is set in stone eating disorders starting number one. And you throw a little trauma on that, you throw a little something else on that, a low point in life or even a high point, a super high point. Mm -hmm. and you get a lot of these things and you know do either of you have any you know experience or know anybody that's kind of gone through this because this is where addiction is real we don't think of you know anorexia anorexia or bulimia nervosa as addictive things they really are it's just a different thing we're addicted to so i will let you guys take the floor because listeners are really tired of <laughs> listening to things i told them to forget tomorrow so <laughs> Let's, uh, Jody, what do you got for us? As somebody that used to be diabetic and, you know, 150 pounds heavier, ate unhealthy for a lot of my life, I can attest that sugar is a drug and it's addictive from my personal point of view because about five years ago, I eliminated it from my diet and just went uh, mainly vegetables and tried to really be healthy. And I went through some crazy withdrawals, like insane. After about the first week, I, I mean, I was literally on the couch. Like I thought I was dying. I had the shakes. I was sweaty. I couldn't focus. I mean, I could, basically I had all I could do just to get off the couch and go to the bathroom. And then I was back on the couch. And I was like, man, what is going on with me? You know? And Dr. Miles was around at that time. Uh, we've been friends and he would check on me and he's just like, well, you're, this is, this is sugar, Jody. It's the elimination of sugar. And that's the thing. You don't think sugar is addictive? Remove it once from your diet and see what it does to you. Because I was, I literally felt like I was some meth or coke addict that I was going through withdrawals from that. And, but the crazy part after about another week, I ended up uh, my my brain, I started getting, remembering things from my childhood, like mm -hmm. from when I was five years old out on the farm. And I started thinking about all of these detailed things from when I was a kid. And I'm like, man, where did all these things come from? You know, it was like my brain, the fog cleared away. Mm -hmm. And I started remembering all this stuff. And I started jotting and journaling it down because I didn't want to ever forget it again. So 
you know, I can, I attest sugar is a drug. And even now I, I have to tell you about the donut incident. So my nephew, Let's hear about this donut. <laughs> my nephew had a chocolate donut and it was here. It was here for about three days. And I, I told miles about it. It was really funny because after about three days, it was like haunting me. I wanted to eat this donut and it was in, in my pantry. And finally I just, I took out this huge knife and I put it on the counter and I chopped this donut up into a million pieces and I recorded it too. And I had to dump it in the garbage because I, I like wanted to eat it so bad that I was like, no, you are not gonna, I'm not going to consume you, you know? So, but it was pretty funny. Yeah. I just want to <laughs> remind the readers, that's uh, our listeners, I should say, <laughs> that that was not only the, you know, the battle between inhibition and just going <laughs> ballistic that's also where com like being obsessive compulsive comes in so jody av averted her sugar addiction but took it out into absolutely dismantling the poor donut <laughs> which would be an obsessive compulsive thing which is located in the same area so i just want everybody to know the nerdy stuff what she did she probably didn't have any control over but it was the right move <laughs> You know, Dr. Miles, I am so glad you're breaking this down to a science because I have had the same struggle for many, many years. I've struggled with disordered eating, everything from starving myself to bulimia. And, you know, none of it has ever been like one solid thing for a solid amount of time, but it has popped up, especially in like really hard times in my life when stress is high. And I have also had the same type of responses when there's been sugar in my house and I've had to just get it all out and I throw it all away. And I, and it is a very um, detailed process, much like Jody's. <laughs> my husband is like, why did you throw out this food? And I'm like, it is had to man. <laughs> I cannot have it in the house right now. Oh. And I feel you on that. And it's just nice to kind of hear because I feel like our audience has a lot of similar stories and feels like they're the crazy one in the room. But really, it's a science, you guys. This is a response to the problem is to the food in our world right now. We have the most access to food that we've ever had. We've had the most access to food that is processed than we've ever had. I mean, you can't even hardly walk through, you go in a, to an event, there's food around every corner free food even. Then you mm -hmm. pair that with alcohol. Yep. It is, we are so bombarded by this, this problem. And like, if we just, if we don't have the cognitive skills, especially if we're prone, like I am prone to these things. I'm prone to eating sugar. It is in my family. I'm my, I just, it just makes so much sense. Like I have a light bulb on right now from what you have said about the science behind it. Just knowing I'm not crazy it's actually the sugar. And when I eliminate sugar from my diet, I'm about three weeks in now, three to four weeks in, and I've eliminated every sugar out of my house. The only thing I eat is natural sugar in the fruits. Mm -hmm. And I eat that in like a protein shake in the morning. And I try to keep it to like berries and like fruits that are a little less in sugar. I've even like eliminated some of those like higher sugar fruits. And that now, now when I bite into a savory dish or something that I cook from scratch, that's really, really healthy. 
it's almost like those flavors are more enhanced. And I'm like getting a sense of the dopamine in the good food from just getting rid of all the empty calories. I'm getting actually like that really satisfied feeling by eating the good food. So that's a really unique experience I've noticed. Yeah, I, I believe that too. Your, your taste buds actually change. And like mm-hmm. you said, you end up, you know, once you eliminate all the garbage per se out of your diet, things just taste differently. They're, they're more, uh, they're just more satisfying to you. You're like, wow, this really tastes good. You know, it doesn't taste processed or fake per se. And I have to ask like, so with me, when I first eliminated sugar, I went through that. The, the first couple of weeks were pretty rough. And then once I hit that kind of third week mark, it's really when my energy shifted and changed where I was like, okay, I'm not dying. <laughs> like mm-hmm. once I kicked the, the, uh, the addiction to the sugar and then my body kind of switched, but it's been a process, you know, I really, really have to watch what I eat right now. And, you know, Dr. Miles can attest to that because I, I'm very aware of my feelings and, and anxiety. And if I'm not sleeping at night, you know, I always look back, okay, what did I eat? Did I eat something I shouldn't have, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm totally with you there on that. So, yeah, it's like it, it takes a couple of weeks, yeah, to get it kind of in, in that, um, like your your brain starts to change. And what I've noticed is the biggest part is for me is my moods and my anxiety levels and my I I don't feel like like that adrenaline is being dropped into my system like a like a, something you're hooked up to an IV and you get that constant drop. And that's what I've been struggling with is that anxiety level. And now I've almost got like a sense of a peaceful, clear mindedness. You know, I still struggle. I do struggle from, you know, an anxiety issue, but it's much more manageable when I have a proper nutrition and proper just diet. And it kind of leads me into kind of another question. So we know how much sugar we can take in. Now, are there some things that you feel are better types of sugar, like sweet potatoes or fruits? Are there things that are better for us to be eating that are, that are kind of a source of sugar or are a source of sugar, but they're not going to give us the spikes that the fructose, like the processed food is going to do? Yeah, you nailed it. And, and we'll, just, we'll just use the sweet potato because you, you brought it up. You know, and I think that was a question too, so we can just get into the sweet potato. Sweet potato is a starch, right? Starch in, a, in its simplest breakdown form is sugar. So sweet potato is a polysaccharide. So if you remember at the beginning, I, say, I said disaccharide. Well, polysaccharide is even more complex. Starches are pretty complex. So that's why we cook starches. That's why starches are so good cooked. If you've ever had raw potato or raw sweet potato, it's, uh, it's a little dicey. It's not going to sit well. So we, we, cook, we cook these high starch or these with fiber and high, these higher sugar foods, and we, we break them down. The heating process will break sweet potato starch into maltose. And maltose is simply broken down into glucose and glucose. So two glucose molecules equal one, malt, one maltose. And there's many, many maltose in a sweet potato. Um, and that's, and that's great because if you just think about what I just said, think about the process of doing that. That has to happen in our gut. So when we eat a sweet potato, and they are actually best microwaved, and I'll get into that in a quick second, 
Um, but if we get into, if we eat a sweet potato, by the time that that process takes to fulfill, that sweet potato is already past the point where glucose is used. So we've lost a lot of the glucose from the sweet potato and it's going to go down into our lower gut where we're going to make short chain fatty acids and eventually get rid of it. So it's not as quickly absorbed, which makes it better on the blood system, on the blood, on the blood system and better on overall sugars. So anything that is a, you know, a polysaccharide starch or that is a fibrous sugar or has a fibrous component to it, like an apple skin, you know, you're going to be doing a lot better because of the process it takes to break that down. And the body just doesn't stop and say, I'm going to keep breaking you down until you're ready. It's always moving. So things are running through the system. And uh, why I said microwaving may be the best for sweet potato is it, it's because it's the lowest index. You know, you cook your um, sweet potatoes, you take that process and you shorten it. So putting a sweet potato in the oven takes that polysaccharide and breaks it down into a lot, a lot of simple sugars. It actually concentrates the sugars. That's why when we caramelize and we make sweet potatoes on like marshmallow dishes, man, those sweet potatoes are good. That's because they've been caramelized and broken down into um, a concentrated sugar, much like squeezing eight oranges into a glass of orange juice just to get one glass. Remember, that took eight oranges. That's a lot of oranges, just like a sweet potato that's been cooked, that sugar is broken down and ready. So the more you cook a sweet potato, the higher the glycemic index, meaning the, the more insulin reaction you're going to have, the more sugar that is readily available to be absorbed. So yeah, sweet potato is great. I'm, I, you know, I'm glad you brought it up. They're loaded with vitamin A and C, um, a longer process to break down, which is good because it's pulling all kinds of crap with it as it's going through our system. And uh, it's going to make it down there and we're not going to absorb a lot of it, which is exactly what we want. You know, that's, that is the number one goal of adding those types of things into our diet besides the great taste is how beneficial they are on just clearing things out and slowing how, how wide our blood sugar spikes and crashes. So that's a great thing to add. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, Kayla. But I, I always say, you know, if you're not on any type of anti-inflammatory diet and you're just looking to be better, you know, a banana and peanut butter, and I've said it before, a handful of almonds and an apple, man, that, that fructose in that apple, you're not going to get anywhere near as much as you would think. It, it's going to go out. Your body is going to work on breaking down the protein. It's going to keep moving things along. And before you know it, it's already out of the system. So great, great things to add. And just kind of going, um, going back into where we were at, um, I found this really interesting study. Again, it was on rats because there's not a lot of addiction withdrawal treatments done on humans when it comes to sugar. But nonetheless, what they found is rats who were addicted to sweets had a better time coming off their sweet addiction when there was fat with it. So adding fat to an elimination of sugar diet is very beneficial. And I, and I see that clinically too. I, you know, we, we try to get people to mix fats in with their sugar all the time. Now, that goes against the Cheeto theory, right? So I want to clear that up is when you add fat and sugar and a crunch or something that's very palatable, you get addiction. Well, remember you're coming down on the sugar and you're 
you're using the fat as something that slows the absorption, which gives more feedback to the brain that says I'm full. So you kind of have to take it, you know, a horse apiece as the Cheeto is chemically engineered or, well, yeah, chemically engineered to make you not full and reward the living daylights out of you. Whereas if you want to come off sugar in a slower manner, you can use a little bit of fat to increase the satiety, which makes you feel full quicker. So just little tricks. So no, Dr. Miles, that's his, Dr. Miles, that is so enlightening. And it's nice to know too, because I do enjoy like the, when I am trying to cut down on my simple sugars, I, when I make my protein shakes with fruit, I do enjoy like a, a, like a teaspoon or something of peanut butter on it to kind of satiate that. Yep. Like it's really satisfying to have a bit of about of like a healthier fat on that um, on the protein shake. So that explains a lot. It really does. Everything you say is like explaining my brain, and I, that's what I love about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, I'm gonna try to get through all this so we can get to some questions here because I think we're we're probably pushing time. We might go a little bit over, but maybe not. I don't know. I just wanted to you know, there's good cop bad cop thing. You know, it's Every, you know, sugar and carbohydrates get associated a lot. And just remember, complex carbohydrates are needed. If we eliminate sugar and then we eliminate our complex carbs, um, we're going to be in a, a world of hurt. So separate the two. And it's hard because we can't see the connection because it's in our brain. But really separate the two. Carbohydrates is its own monster and its own good thing. Sugar is its own thing as well. So if you're just cutting sugar, separate the two. Don't, don't bring down complex carbs and, you know, fruits and vegetables and fiber rich foods and associate that with sugar, or you're just setting up, you know, a really restrictive diet and you're setting yourself up for, you know, having a relapse and going back to sugar. Complex carbs are very helpful in um, coming off sugar. So it's just finding the right combinations that don't have all the added sugar is, is kind of what you need to do. So you, go ahead. Yep. Would you suggest like sticking to whole foods, like a whole fruit? Like when I get kind of a, like that mid afternoon slump and I just need a little pick me up and I am kind of, kind of craving a, a bit of sugar, I'll go for something like an apple or, you know, and something like an apple with a, like a handful of almonds or something. Would you just like, would you suggest our best bet for like a safe bet is to just kind of stick to those whole foods and get and satisfy the hunger with, with the whole foods rather than reaching for something like a, like a protein bar or something that's been through some sort of process? Oh man. Yeah. You, you nailed it. You're right on the head. And the, even I would say, don't even go for the bar because a lot of bars have, you know, hidden sugar alcohols that some people don't react to and a lot of them also have high fructose corn syrup so yeah stick to the holes um i would even yeah stay away from the candy bars if you can if you're on the fly and you're rocking walking around or doing stuff yeah you know you gotta you gotta do with what what you can but this will put some perspective into why eating a peach or an apple kayla it makes the most sense the amount of fructose let's just say a peach really represents only one percent of the weight of the peach but remember what I said at the beginning, high fructose corn syrup is about half and half fructose and glucose. So you're taking some, you're eating something that, rep, you know, fructose represents 1% of the weight, 
versus a candy bar with high fructose corn syrup in it, that's 50% of one high fructose corn syrup molecule. There is a big difference. There's a big difference. So you are absolutely right. Eat, eat the whole foods. And, you know, when in doubt, if, if there's still something going on, seek out some, some help because you might be reacting to certain foods, getting histamine responses and whatnot. But um, again, just, just remember that high fructose corn syrup, excessive fructose suppresses, you know, it, it stops the suppression of ghrelin. And ghrelin is a hormone that makes us hungry. So I always say ghrelin means ghrelin. Your stomach is ghrelin. You're hungry. You're ready to eat. You know, fructose suppresses the suppression of ghrelin. So you're never truly full. It's only the taste. Mm. And, and that's, again, why you got to add those almonds in. Because if you don't, fructose will inhibit your body's natural breaking system. And that's that D2 pathway. D2 is red, is red light. D1 is green light. And, you know, instead of going super, like Jody's donut story, instead of going compulsive and eating the heck out of that donut, she stayed on green light and went into absolutely annihilating the donut. She could have inhibited and walked away, but she stayed D1, all green light, and just beat the living daylights out of it. So that's where, like, addiction, activity, thought, ticks where you see certain people tick all these things live in the same area of the brain it's just what highway system is going in there asking for more green light is it hunger is it a tick is it some type of compulsive cleaning disorder is it some type of compulsive organizing your dresser disorder understand the body is very simple it will ask for things in the way that has the most avenues and if you're more of a d1 person a green light person you will have more green light tendencies. And that's, that's just how, kind of how that works. That's so, so insightful because it, it also allows us by this, you know, we're getting a lot of information in this podcast, which is amazing. But this is also shedding a lot of light on how we can move forward cognitively and how we can make better decisions and understand that we can't, we don't have to beat ourselves over the head with a newspaper. We can just understand that, okay, now I get what's happening and I'm getting why it's happening. Now I can do something about it and take action. So that's the, that's the most enlightening part of this for me, even personally, is just hearing that, okay, brain, that's what you're, that's like the doo-doo that you're throwing at me, monkey brain. Okay. Let's access that new brain, that cognitive brain and kind of work with these tendencies or, you know, understand my brain and how it works. So I appreciate everything that you're saying when it comes to this stuff, for sure. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm sorry. So, somebody's just got to yell at me. I'm, I want to <laughs> get through a few more things before we get to questions. So I just want to touch real quick on um, ingredients labels and stuff like that. Um, the big thing you're looking for is added sugars and then total sugars, subtract the two, and you usually get the natural sugar in the product, right? Mm -hmm. So, a, you know, a fruit bar has 20, 20 total sugars, but it has 10 added sugars. So you can just say that that fruit contained 10 sugars into that product and the company that made it added 10 more sugars. 
So that, that's, that's a quick and dirty way. And the great thing is, is by, you know, 2020, our year right here, even though rough year, um, by 2020 and 2021, all food makers will have to do this. You know, the last um, people they kind of let slip through the cracks, they have until the end of 2021 or the, you know, the FDA won't allow you to label your product and well, unlabeled product means an unshelved product. So that's, that's kind of a neat little thing. Amen to that. Because I know that the sugars, they would put the amount of sugar, but they never would put the percentage. Did you ever yep. notice that? There was never a sugar percentage of the added sugars. They would put carbohydrates, they would put everything, mm-hmm. proteins, everything. But sugar, there was no percentage. And I'm finally seeing percentages. And those percentages are high. They yeah. are super high. Like you look at the grams of sugar, it's, it's not very many. But the percentage is high because we're not supposed to be consuming a huge amount of sugar. And that's where, you know, I kind of feel like we could almost split this into two episodes because we could have like five episodes, honestly, like this is just touching the surface. And like, for example, this can of organic tomato sauce I have in front of me, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no added sugar in the ingredients, but there's three grams of sugar right on the back. Well, there's seven servings in one soup can of tomato sauce. You know, that's 21 grams of sugar in the, you know, organic tomato puree itself. And that's with no added sugar in it. So think about that a second. You, you get sugar even just from vegetables, you know, and healthy options like that, yeah, would be even a healthy like option. A healthy so, option. so people say, well, you need sugar to survive. Well, absolutely you do, but you don't need the refined sugar. Mm-hmm. Like uh, sugar is naturally in veggies and stuff we eat. And the other thing I wanted to point out is like a Gatorade bottle. You know, I see parents feed their kids this stuff all the time and they drink it every day, multiple times. You know, there is a ton of sugar in Gatorade. Now Gatorade was made for like elite athletes it's Mm -hmm. not it wasn't made to just drink as a daily drink Mm -hmm. you know so that's the other thing that i just wanted to point out with that well okay well i have a question for you guys you know we've really been hitting hard on sugar and that's a you know that's a huge enlightening thing now does that mean okay what about if we do go have a, a cupcake or a cookie. Like I feel like moderation is also key, and we don't want to we don't want to alienate people or make them feel like, oh my goodness, I can't. If I touch that cupcake, I'm going to blow up. No, it's what is it? And the element of mindfulness and and just balance is that also um, a component in this in this whole picture? Like, can you have the cupcake and move on with your day? Like, is that a reality? Yeah, I mean. E- easy reality. Um, you know, if that cupcake doesn't make you bloat, doesn't make you, you know, do or get moody or, or, or get any other symptoms that you notice, you know, why not? Like I, we were talking about before um, we got going on this is 97 and three, 97% of your, percent of your life should be, you know, exactly how you want it. And 3% should be, you know, breaking the rules a little bit. You, you got to break the rules and there's no rule on what you should eat. But if you want to live a quality life and you want to stack the odds in your favor, the best thing to do is, you know, exactly like, you know, what we've been talking about is reduce the amount of added sugars, but a cupcake, you know, I'd be be lying to say that if I didn't have one, you know, I'd be lying to say if I 
I've never had an energy drink that has had stuff. I have, uh, not, I'll admit it, but it gets to, a, you know, you get in tune with your body and you just start noticing that, yeah, there's a little GI distress and your guts are silent inhibition, meaning the pain you feel, you don't feel it because your body inhibits those pain receptors from ever coming to for tuition unless it's something like appendicitis. So if you can feel your guts rumble after an energy drink or you know a couple cupcakes, imagine what's really going on. So that, that's what I would ask yourself. Is, is, is it worth it to tear apart your guts? And if you have great genetics, and you only find that out when you're 104 years old, if you have great genetics, then I guess all those cupcakes are fine. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you have a, uh, two parents that gave you a big time D1 pathway system and a little peeny red light system, geez, I don't know. When does one turn into a hundred, you know? So there is, there's absolutely no shaming people for having a cupcake because we all, we all do our 3%, whatever it is, but it's just test yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have that cupcake, put that cupcake in front of you tomorrow and just say no and actually let it go bad and throw it away because that's the true test of how good your braking system is. Maybe your husband will eat it. Maybe your wife will eat it. That's fine. But for you, really test yourself. I, I recently eliminated ketchup and actually like four months ago and I ate it with everything. I'm done with it just because I wanted to be to make sure I was still in control. <laughs> so I haven't had ketchup and I've ate it my whole life, literally years. A good time. And then it's gone. And that, that's one of those ones that's just loaded with sugar. So yeah, yeah I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, you know, to, to make that answer short is yeah. Everybody needs their 3%. I wouldn't go more than 10%. Play with that a little bit. And don't try to be perfectionist because perfectionist people tend to have a high D1 pathway and it turns into obsessive compulsive. Oh, yep. Yeah. That's my struggle. <laughs> right. So um, real quick touch on sugar substitutes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot out there. Um, the FDA has a great website on them all. They, they do a really good job. Your sugar substitutes, lots of sweetness, no caloric value. So again, they're going to go right after that ventral striatum. They're going to hit the taste, but they're not going to hit the nutrition receptors of your body. You're not going to feel full. You're not going to feel totally pleased. So you just keep going. That's with sugar substitutes. Again, we could go all day on those. We just want to, again, make sure that we just watch out your aspartames, your ACE-K, your saccharins, your sweet and lows. You see them at these you know, mom and pop restaurants that we all love. It's just don't go to the sugar tray for the coffee. Those are just aspartame, ACE-K, or saccharin. That's all it is. Oh. <laughs> and every now and then you get a little Trulia, which is a um, stevia and um, an alcohol sugar. And I, I think you both should touch on this because I know both of you have brought it up and I'll give the mic to Jody. But sugar substitutes, artificial sweeteners, and recognized as safe in quotation marks by the FDA um, sweeteners, these don't align with people. And I, I think you guys should both touch on that because it's a real thing. And just because you cut sugar doesn't mean that your body's going to accept stevia, monk fruit, aspartame, or saccharin. So Jody, what, what are your thoughts on that? So I went out of my box and I bought a uh, bag of Swerve which is uh, erythritol. 
and you know, I mixed it up. Erythritol. Like, that word sounds so appetizing, right? Yes, chemical. <laughs> that sounds so sweet. So I mixed it up, and I wanted to make some frosting with it. You know, which that's what it claims to do. It's like a replacement of confectioner sugar. Well, I did it, and I literally took one teaspoon into my mouth, swallowed it, and I instantly, like, it just burned my entire insides. Like, I had heartburn, my chest was just burning, my stomach, and I was instantly in the bathroom, you guys. Crazy. Like, insane. And I told Dr. Miles about it because I, I had never tried it before. And I was like, oh my gosh, you would not believe what this did to me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, it might taste sweet and like frosting, but I'm not putting that in my body again. So the FDA says it's safe. Well, it's not safe for me. So that's the thing is just like he said, be mindful of that, of what it does to your gut. And it, it was like instant. And uh-huh. I was like, wow, that is crazy what that does to me. Now, stevia, I have the concentrate little sweetener. And, you know, I don't use it a lot. I've put like a drop in coffee before or whatever, but even that in moderation, I have to be careful. And, I, you know, I've just found it, stuff like that just tastes chemically to me, like the monk fruit and the erythritol. So but, I get the yeah. same vibes. Um, I you have a story about stevia? Or any- I do have a story. I do have a story about stevia. So when I was, um, I did some bodybuilding back in the day and what, around what? that time. that is when I um kind of I cut out sugar but I started I would find myself kind of like spoon feeding almost spoon feeding myself stevia and like and putting it on everything and just like I could not satisfy that like it just like was dropping in my brain like I just couldn't you know, get it under control. And then, you know, fast forward a few years and I was starting to kind of on that path again. I was crash dieting and um, overworking out and taking in stevia. And I think just a combination of some lifestyle choices, I was ending up with ocular migraines where I couldn't see. I, my vision was blocked out on certain, like I couldn't look at something and read it fully. And I don't, I don't know what it, I never did get a diagnosis of what actually caused it. So I can't say it was stevia per se, I think it was a whole plethora of lifestyle choices I was making at that time in my life. Ever since that happened, I have completely cut out any source of sugar substitute. And I'd rather, if I am going to eat sugar, it's a coconut sugar or honey or something that is, you know, somewhat more digestible or at least a real food rather than something like that. But yes, I, I feel like sugar substitutes depending on your like your chemical makeup your your dna it can affect you like i i am affected by things easily i've always been like if i have too much caffeine i'm affected or if i have too much alcohol i'm affected whatever it may be i just respond very um sensitively to things so yeah i mean i i've had my fair share of experiences and like for me honestly keeping all sugars low out of my house or low in my house if I have something very specifically if I want to have a treat with my husband or something I go out we buy one of it and then we enjoy the treat and move on with our lives and that has really helped me to just stay cognitive and stay mindful of my decisions when it comes to processed foods 
Bingo. Yeah, you, you nailed it. You know, these, these things are more, more sweet than table sugar and high fructose corn syrup. That's the thing. They're sweet. These things are sweeter than we, than we take, take for granted. So they, they do mess with the brain. And, you know, the biggest thing that you see at the conclusion of every research article with these sweeteners is that they can, you know, kind of shun healthy feeling, highly nutritious foods. And we just don't taste foods the same afterwards. Vegetables taste blah. Things taste blah. And it, it really, it does change the way we look at foods because when things taste blah, that's hitting that ventral striatum and we're not fulfilling the taste. We might be fulfilling the nutrition, but we're not fulfilling the taste. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a hat. You have to stimulate both. You have to give dopamine in the right amounts to both. And yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a wild ride through that. And mm -hmm. these the sweeteners, you just, you just kind of got to watch out for. And, you know, you know, jumping into that, I, I just did a, a quick search yesterday and, where are all these sugars and sweeteners added? Well, 47% are in beverages. Beverages are the big one. Snacks and sweets come in at 31%. But any advice to moms, parents, and individual goals out there, you, you got to limit the beverages. They are loaded. And they are sweet and they are delicious and they are with caffeine. And then you sprinkle in some good labeling of B vitamins, taurine, and ginseng man, you just think you're the healthiest person in the world on cloud nine until you crash and need another one. And then you don't have another one because you're not at the grocery store. So you satisfy it with sugar. And then the cycle is just a, like a beast. It's a dopamine beast that's just driving taste, 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 and you're not getting any value from it. it it's pretty wild. Yeah, it's, um, it sneaks up on us too. It really does. Like, I mean, there's so many times that I've struggled with that. And um but yeah, yeah, you, this has been a wonderful conversation. We're getting kind of close yeah. to time here. So okay. um, are there any, thank you both for being, you know, taking the time out of your night. I, I, like I said, I love our conversations. I could talk with you guys probably straight for five hours and not even look up. Give me um, one minute to answer all these questions. Okay. Oh, we haven't even, yeah, we've been kind of covering throughout, oh, which is good. Right. But. So we've already addressed some of these. I got one, is juicing good or bad? It's tough to say. Remember, one glass of orange juice contains about five to six whole oranges. So that's concentrated. So just be smart, right? Juicing, juicing fruit, way more, way more sugar. Juicing a vegetable, a lot less. And remember, vegetables are harder to break down. So by the time it's broken down, it's already out. So I'm a fan of juicing vegetables and a little bit of fruit. And uh, I would say juicing is good for you. You know, see, do it all the time in clinic. Foods that are hidden with sugar, um, question three. Um, the biggest trick to hiding sugar is renaming it. And I think we went over that with all kinds of sweeteners. Again, the ketchup story, granola bars, yogurt, salad dressing, cereal, energy drinks, coleslaw and tea. Coleslaw, that's a, that's a common one. Lots of sugar and coleslaw, mm. gotta make it appetizing. Because it definitely doesn't look it. <laughs> um, remember with the renaming, if it ends with ups, os, or ours, stay away from it. Those are those fancy, clever names to rename sugar. Um, question four was about cravings in the brain. You know, I, I think we went over that. Um, mm -hmm. Most things mimic dopamine. You're going to see your dark chocolate and meth users kind of uh, – mimic each other in terms of how they highlight the brain on 
functional MRI. So that, that's another one. Um, dopamine from dark chocolate is definitely more of the visual. And once it gets into the mouth, according to functional MRIs, is more like methamphetamines. So Wow. Because yeah. that's like, and that's when it, it melts. Like you, you put it on yeah. your tongue and it melts. And I get a, I do, I get a high. I love dark chocolate. Like put it in my mouth, let it melt. I could do that all day. Like, right. yeah, it's, <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> right. So yeah, cho- again, chocolate, again, nothing's wrong with chocolate, moderation. But remember, when you go to reach for the chocolate the fourth time, can you say no? Yeah. And if you can't say no, get some sleep and do some meditation and try it again tomorrow. Because that's yeah. the best way to get your, your human brain, your big brain, your, your cool brain function up is sleep, 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 sleep. Get that puppy going. Um, sugar and mood, besides weight gain, what else does sugar affect? Everything we can't see. Um, that's what sugar affects. So besides weight gain, it affects our, it, it just affects every process in our body because homeostasis of blood sugar ranks high on the list, just like pH and alkalosis and acidosis in our blood. It, mm-hmm. it, it affects everything. If, if you're the healthiest person in the world and you eat whatever you want and you're you know, super fit, but you're having these big time fluctuations, start with sugar. It, it's a great place to remove something and probably see an instant effect. And then last, last question we had was sugar craving during hormonal shifts or emotional states. Um, what I, what I kind of thought about was, I think the answer actually lies in the question. Um, sugar dysregulation leads to other hormones taking over like cortisol and epinephrine, and that suppresses progesterone, estrogen, testosterone. And we start to get all these weird serotonin dopamine syndromes going on. And, uh, what I, what I would say is, you know, it's not so much craving sugar during these emotional times that might get your dopamine high, but it's more so you're probably dysregulated underneath that drove you to be this way. But where are you at in your cycle? That is so important to craving sugar and whatnot because estrogen is very closely tied with dopamine and progesterone is very tied with, you know, fairly closely tied with other things. So if estrogen drops all of a sudden and progesterone cranks up when you ovulate, well, to get that same high, you might be craving some sweets during ovulation. Mm-hmm. So we'll, and we'll get into that later. So yeah, in all, this was, this was a great podcast because it, it just addressed so many things. And just remember, sugar is, is a highly palatable food. And as soon as you say palatable, and as soon as you think taste, you have to already start thinking dopamine and reward and mm-hmm. serotonin and all these systems. So if you had to cut anything out, I would cut out fructose and start there, add a little fat and slowly cut away your sugars. If you don't make time for health now, you're going to make time for disease later. You got a choice. It's actually easier than you think. You just got to be willing to, you know, slap the ego aside and just say no. And it's really hard because it's really hard because it's so easy to say one more time or this is my last time. but. Just remember out there, you're not alone. You know, there's, you're not the only one struggling with this. So don't let the pity party take over. Just be strong, get some sleep, get that human brain going, put the chocolate out there, put the McDonald's burger out there, put whatever sugar you got out there 
and just let it rot. Let it get old and don't even feed it to the dog. Don't even feed it, throw it away. And you're going to hate yourself because you're going to say, I threw away money instead of saying I bettered my health. And you have to keep saying that until you say you bettered your health first. That's so true. Well, thank you too so much. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the wow factor today where we really did discover a wealth of wellness in regards to sugar and all the questions we have. Thank you again, Dr. Miles and Jody, for being with me today. You guys have a great rest of your night and we will talk to you soon and see you next week on The Wow Factor.